Good afternoon. We'll look at Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Luke 16. Verses 1 through 15. We'll just read the first nine verses. Look at the rest of it later. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. He also said to his disciples, to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. And he said to another, how much do you owe? said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the, sons, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can come together as your people and as a body of Christ to worship, to gather, to receive your word, and also for fellowship. We thank you that we can be together like this, being strengthened by you, being strengthened by one another to be an encouragement to one another. We pray that you would use this worship time to help us to draw near to you, to receive from your word, so that the way that we live our lives would be in accordance with your purposes for us. Uh, so we depend on you for that because you're the only one that can speak to our hearts and change our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you're following with me as we read this parable, this is one of those parables that at first glance seems kind of perplexing, right? There's something about this parable that just does not seem right. Um, and... Uh, uh, what are we to make of it? Okay, so we want to think about that. I want to study this passage, this parable today. And uh, actually, this is, we've been kind of in Luke for the past three, four weeks. This is kind of uh, the last parable we're going to look at and studying next week, Lord willing. The plan is to go back to the study of the book of Samuel. Last year, we studied 1 Samuel, and um, we're going to continue on 2 Samuel. I think there's really a lot of benefit to systematically studying one book and uh, we really capture, uh, we learn from the author and the theme of the book and I think we can really learn deeply that way, a lot more deeply than um, bouncing around or think, looking at different passages. Okay, so that's, that's, a, that's a goal that's uh, Lord willing, what we're planning to do starting next week. Okay, so again, uh, Luke chapter 16 here today to talk about three things. First, the master commended the dishonest manager. The master commended the dishonest 
manager. Uh, again, it says in verse 1, he also said to the disciple. Okay, so now this is the context. Jesus is talking to his disciples, people who are already following him, and now he's telling them uh, this parable. There's a rich man with a manager. Charges were brought to him. This man was wasting his possessions. Called him in. What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the accounts of your management, for you can, you can no longer be managed. Okay, so this manager was wasting his boss's money, so um, now he's uh, about to be fired. But before he's let go, the boss gives him some time to get the accounts that he's been managing in order. Verse 3, the manager, now this is him thinking to himself, what shall I do? I'm about to get fired, right? What shall I do? I'm not strong enough to dig, too ashamed to beg. So now this is, this is what I'm going to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, so this is what he thinks. Like, I'm going to lose my job. What are my options? And he realizes he does not have any options. There's nothing that he has to fall back on. So he realizes that he has to make these last days on this job count. So he decides to do things in these last few days to set himself up for when this job is taken from him. He sees these last few days on the job as a limited opportunity. So his goal is not to just, his goal is not to settle these accounts properly. His main goal now is to set up for himself some sort of financial security for when he loses his job. That's how he goes about dealing with these people. So he calls in his master's debtors one by one and basically cuts down their debts. Oh, you owe 100 oil? Make it 50. You owe 100 wheat? Now you only owe 80. So he takes liberty to, to be super generous with his master's money so that he can gain favor for himself. And this clearly is not the most honest thing to do, but apparently it worked because people liked him after this. Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Okay, so now the master found out what this manager was doing, and we don't know if he still fired the manager, but we're told that the manager was thought positively by uh, the master because of what he did. The master wasn't approving his dishonesty, but he still basically said, good job. Oh, wow, way to go. Because what he did for himself was wise, clever, it was shrewd. Okay, so now this is the part of the parable where things get a little difficult for us to understand. Because how can, now we're thinking to ourselves, how can dishonesty be commended? How can he approve action like this? Maybe we can think of it in this way. One time, when our third child was in the first grade, I went to pick him up from school at the end of the day, and uh, he was in the area where they're supposed to be waiting, and he was with a group of his friends waiting to be picked up. He saw me from a distance, from shouting distance, and then he yells out to me. He goes, hi, Dad, right? First grader. Hi, Dad. 
And then he goes on telling me who his friends are that are around him. He goes, hi, Dad, this is my friend. He's like pointing to me, screaming, right? Like everyone can hear. This is my friend. And he shouts out his name. His name is whatever, right? And then he goes, he's also my friend. And his name is, and he shouts out his name. And then there was another kid standing around like in that area, a little bit further, but still in the same area. And then he goes, he points to that kid, and he goes, but not him. <laughs> He's not my friend. I don't know who he is. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm looking at him, I go, oh, okay. <laughs> now my reaction to that was, oh, okay, but, but, but don't do that. Don't do that because, don't say that out loud because you might make that kid feel bad. But while I was thinking that, while I was thinking, don't do that, at the same time, I could not help but admire his boldness. So you see what's going on there? No, 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 don't do that. That's not good. But I commend you for your boldness. And that's kind of what's going on here. Being dishonest isn't good. No, 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 don't do that. But I commend you for your shrewdness. And then, after telling this parable, Jesus gives his commentary, his own commentary on the parable, saying at the second half of verse 8, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwelling. So Jesus basically says, learn from this manager. Because there's a kingdom lesson here that you can learn even from this dishonest man. And the lesson that Jesus wants his disciples to learn is this. For the manager, he believes that having the security that comes from wealth, he believes that that's the key to his success in his life. So because that's what he believes, he takes appropriate actions now. When he has the opportunity, he takes the appropriate actions so that he can secure for himself that future that he wants. And Jesus is saying that his disciples should think like that as they live their lives. There's a time to live on earth and a time for eternal dwelling. And a time on earth is limited. It's a limited opportunity to set yourself up for your future in eternity. Jesus is saying, act wisely now. With the things that you have now, with things like worldly wealth, act wisely with those things in such a way that it will benefit your eternal status later. This is very logical, right? Money is valuable here on earth. It's a very logical conclusion to, to, to come to. Think about this. Money is valuable here on earth. You can do a lot of things with it right now. But after this time on earth is over, when you pass into eternity, that money will be useless. On top of that, the life that we live here on earth is a lot shorter than the life that we'll live in eternity, right? Eternity is a lot longer. So that's why this is, this is just a, a logical, simple thing to understand. Would you rather live 100 years on earth as, as a king and then spend eternity as a beggar or live 100 years on earth as a beggar 
and spend eternity as a king. It's a very logical thing to kind of process, and any five-year-old can answer that question correctly. By the way, this is something that most students deal with when they ask that very common question, what do I want to major in? What do I want to major in in my life? Why in the world would anyone not pick the easiest major that they can pick in college? Why in the world would anyone decide to go to med school? Right? Like you choose pre-med, you decide to go to med school, and if someone does that, this is what they're thinking. I will suffer for four years in medical school. And then I'll torture myself even more for three years of residency. While I do that, I'll deteriorate my own health while having no social life, accumulate in that process an enormous amount of debt so that after those, those seven years, I can reap the benefits of those years of suffering, right? Um, and those benefits, depending on what the person is thinking, could be things like, I can live my life to help other people and serve other people and live for God and things like that. And Jesus is saying that applies, that principle applies to life. The time that you have on earth is limited. It's a limited opportunity that you have to set yourself up for your future and eternity. So we should use all the things that we have, like material wealth, social wealth, right? Like just, just the ability to get to know people and, and to befriend them and to love them. Intellectual wealth, all the things that we have while we're here on earth, use it in such a way that will help us to be received well in eternity. That's why the master commended the dishonest manager because he was shrewd. He acted wisely. And Jesus says, learn from this shrewd manager. Secondly, the promise of true riches. After that, Jesus says in verse 10, it's a verse we didn't read, but verse 10 it says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If you, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So God gives us, it seems like this is what Jesus, Jesus is saying. God gives us little first. He first gives us little to see what we do with it. And if we're faithful with that, then he gives us more. So for example, God gives us, God gives you one person to care for. Maybe that's your neighbor, co-worker, a classmate. And if we do our best to represent Christ to that person by loving them, by praying for them, and so on, then after that, God gives us two persons to care for, or maybe a more challenging person to care for. In other words, he gives us more opportunities to serve him, and that's important because that ultimately leads to what Jesus says, true riches, right? If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous world, who will entrust to you true riches? Ultimately, with all these different opportunities that God gives you, what you do with it, if you're faithful with it, will lead to true riches. And for the follower of Jesus Christ, 
the disciples of Christ, that is one of their final goals, to receive true riches from God. All the things we own and possess here on earth are fake riches that don't last. Jesus wants us to aim for aim to be rewarded with true riches in heaven. And how do we get there? What we choose to do now, how we choose to live now, is an investment into these true riches that we can have in eternity. Now, kind of uh, going along with that thought, it's interesting when we look at the book of Revelation that it talks about these robes, these robes that the saints of God will be clothed in. Revelation chapter 7, verse 13. Who are these? Clothed in white robes. And from where have they come? Verse 14. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes. Why is it white? They're clothed in white robes. Why is it white? They have washed their robes and made white and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Right? So this means that these people are all people who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not the righteousness of their own, but it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ because anyone who's in heaven will be there because Jesus shed his blood for them. So you can imagine the scene where the, 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 the people of God, the saints of God, are clothed in white, and so everyone is dressed in the same white robe because the white robes symbolize the purity and cleansing that comes through the righteousness of Christ because everyone got there the, got there the same way, the righteousness of Christ, same white robe. But what's interesting here uh, is also in book of Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, it says here, it was granted, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The righteous deeds of the saints. Okay, the, this scene now here in Revelation 19 is the, the great final wedding, the marriage of the Lamb, right? This is the marriage that we talk about when we do uh, Christian weddings. So your wedding is not the ultimate thing. It symbolizes the wedding of Christ and his bride, the church, and you know, so this is the scene, Revelation 19, the marriage of the Lamb, right? Jesus Christ. And at that wedding, the saints of God, the bride of Jesus Christ, God's people, are again clothed, but it says here, in bright and pure fine linen. But the thing is here, it says the fine linen is not the righteousness of Christ, but the righteous deeds of the saints. So you can imagine this scene at the great wedding, unlike Revelation 7, where everyone was dressed in the same robe based on the righteousness of Christ. You can imagine here in this scene, everyone is dressed differently. It seems like how the saints of God are dressed at the great wedding depends on how they chose to live their lives while they were here on earth. All the righteous deeds of God's people will be recognized and rewarded here in heaven, the true riches in heaven. See, what that means is that everything that we do for God 
for God's glory here on earth will be remembered. How you chose to live your life as a student, which seems like a, such, a, such a common thing, but in my heart, how I chose to live for God, the priorities that I chose to make before God, or the way that you go about your work Monday morning, or how you show Christ to your family, to your wife, to your children at home, the choices that you make when no one is looking, all these things will determine how God's people will be clothed in heaven. The true riches that God will give to his people. So we can think about our lives in this way. The time that you have in college is a critical time to decide which path you're going to take in life. The time that you have before before relationships, before marriage, is a time to really decide. It's a critical time to decide what your future is going to look like. It's like this, this time, this limited time that I have to decide what the next stage is going to look like. And the time that we have here on earth, it's this temporary time to choose what our eternity will look like. Jesus wants us to realize that and to aim to be rewarded with true riches in heaven. Promise of true riches. Thirdly, God knows your hearts. And then he says in verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So it seems like even without being asked, Jesus reads people's minds because he now addresses a very common rebuttal that would arise from people's hearts. And that is the question, can I have both? Money is useful here on earth and useless in eternity. So what I'll do is I'll love and enjoy money now. Why not? I mean, it's useful here. So I'll love and enjoy money now. And then I'll enter heaven later, after I die. Then Jesus says it doesn't work like that because it's the nature of our hearts that we cannot love two things wholeheartedly. You cannot make yourself ultimate and at the same time make God ultimate. It does not work like that. It's either living for earthly riches or true riches in heaven, one or the other. That's why. Devotion to God has to be exclusive. Verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. They said to them, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So the Pharisees don't like what Jesus is saying. So they scoff at it. They listen to what Jesus is saying, and they're like, this is ridiculous. Their attitude is, do you know how much I pray? You don't. Do you know how much I fast? How much I know the scriptures? How much I've studied them? I've done so many good things, and that is why God is blessing me with all these riches now, and that is why he will receive me into heaven. And to that, Jesus says, those visible deeds might exalt you before men. But God sees your heart, and your heart is actually detestable to God. 
I think this is a good warning for us who are sitting here at church. Because if you're sitting here at church, and if we're really honest with ourselves, we're just like the Pharisees in that we want both. We have a lot of earthly dreams, a lot of earthly dreams that benefit myself. I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to enjoy this, and I want to enjoy that. Earthly dreams. And at the same time, we want treasures in heaven too. And what Jesus is trying to show the Pharisees is that the heart, our hearts are so deceptive. We're prone to reason in twisted ways to get what we want in our lives. So, a good starting point in the pursuit of true riches in heaven, if that's ultimately what I'm aiming for, and that's really what I want to live for, a good starting point is to realize that God knows your heart. God knows that the sinner will choose to love himself over God 10 out of 10 times. God knows a thousand out of a thousand times. So when Jesus tells his disciples to learn from this shrewd manager, he's not saying, be better. He's not saying, be better and make better choices in your life. But it's really so that his disciples would trust him. In other words, the wrong response to this parable is the, is, is the, is the response of the Pharisees. I'm trying to do many things. I'm trying to be better in my life to follow Christ, to be received into heaven. Jesus is showing his disciples that it's ultimately that heart that trusts in Christ, that's been transformed by God, that trusts in Christ, that will produce deeds of righteousness in their lives. Um, before I... Wrap up, let me just put a parenthetical thought right here. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but I don't know where else to put it. This Friday, we have an event called TLC Olympics. I got to talk about it. It's in the notes. I'm supposed to talk about it today. Um, so it's this event where our small groups compete with other small groups in a lot of events, like they're uh, events that test endurance, um, like, you know, like, Championship athleticism, um, true love. Uh, it's a, no, actually, it's just a fun time to run around in the field. Okay? Um, so we have this event called Olympics, because uh, it's, a, it's a cool name, for a couple of different reasons. First, so that we can bond with our small groups, and that's why we bond with, that's why we compete with our small, small groups against other small groups so that we can bond with our smug, because we're competing, right? And then, like, it's, it's, it's a team event. Okay? So if your small group member goes there and falls down, it's a great opportunity not to say, oh, what's wrong with you? Do you know, not know how to run? But it's a great opportunity to cheer and say, it's okay. Get up and keep going. It's, and it's bonding. And then that person that fell can look back and go, wow, you support me. You love me. And then your smug of fellowship will never be the same again because there's so much love that was displayed on the field on Saturday. So that's one, one reason. Like we want to bond with our small group. 
The second reason why we do this is so that we can be together as a church. Uh, I mean, you know, like roughly if there are about 100 people here, if you look around, like you don't know a lot of the 100 people. But thing is, like you don't know where blessings are going to come from. If you only know the person sitting next to you, is that person blessing to you all the time? The answer is no. Okay? Are you blessing to them all the time? No. But, you know, God wants to use different people in the community, in the body of Christ to serve one another, to be a blessing to one another. So the person that you don't know across the sanctuary over there, over there, might be the huge avenue of blessings this year that you happen to meet on Saturday at Olympics while you were eating. They gave you the ketchup. You go, oh, and then you struck up a conversation. Oh, I like ketchup too. And then you started a friendship, and that was the beginning of a great blessing from God. You never know. You know, a lot of uh, discipleship relationships happen like that. And uh, we need one another in the community through all the different hardships and things that we go through in our lives. We don't want to limit ourselves to just my own group of friends, my own small group. And so for that reason, I want to encourage you to come out because community is important, because being together as a church is important. Okay? Okay. Um, coming back to the sermon. At FNL this Friday, we played this uh, get-to-know-one-another game where everyone, so this is how the game went. Everyone got a post-it note on their back with something written on it, and it's stuck on your back, so you don't know what it says. But of course, you can see everyone else's, and people can see yours. And each post-it note is one part of a matching pair. So for example, if one note says peanut butter, there's another note somewhere in the room that says jelly. And the goal of this game is to find out what yours says by talking to people so that you can eventually find your matching partner. So everyone, like, they're playing this game. They're going around talking, meeting people. Batman is looking for Robin. Superman is looking for Lois Lane. Table is looking for chair. And they're just going around mingling like that. And I saw that, people mingling, laughing, having fun. And I thought to myself, wow, this would be a great dating game. You go around the room, you know. You're searching the entire room, looking for that one person. And when you find them, oh, you're peanut butter? I'm jelly. We were made for each other. And that other person might say, yeah, I know. This was meant to be because I kind of have a crush on you in real life. <laughs> and who knows, after that, like they might hit it off. And that could be the, the beginning of a beautiful story that they can tell for the rest of their lives. So maybe we'll do that at the next Young Adult Fellowship. <laughs> so okay, so that was one thing that I was thinking. That I, I, I actually thinking that like that's a, be a pretty cool dating game. Second thing that I thought after that, uh, not as happy, but I thought, wow, this is actually not too far off. Like this scene, or the, kind of like it's analogous. The scene is not too far off from our spiritual reality, meaning. 
the note that should be stuck on every single person's back, spiritually speaking, identifying who I am, the note should say, sinner, right? I'm a sinner. And many people like, might not know it, but we're destined, we're walking around, like living life and things like that, but we're destined to eventually encounter God's wrath because that's what sinners deserve. But how this, I guess, game goes, this game of life, how it goes because of Jesus is Jesus came into the room and he actually swapped notes. He took the note that said wrath and matched us with the note that says grace. So now God and sinners can together be in a loving fellowship relationship because of Jesus Christ. And you see, you see what this parable is saying? That is why now our hearts can produce righteous deeds on earth. Not because like, oh, okay, I'm convicted, I can do better now. I got to do better now. I can resist those temptations now. But that is the only reason why our hearts can produce righteous deeds on earth. And we can actually look forward to being dressed in fine linen in heaven. So, in light of Christ, in light of what he's done, in light of faith in Jesus Christ and the power that comes from him, may we turn away from our sins and trust in Jesus with, with all of our hearts and invest our lives in the daily, in the daily things, invest our lives with the intention of investing in earthly, in, in heavenly things, in eternal things. We give ourselves to the Lord in that way, aiming to be dressed in the linen of righteousness. Let's pray together. Let's consider these things because um, every stage of life is kind of like the, um, kind of like on a smaller scale, what's going on in our entire lives, right? Like college stage, um, post-college, immediate post-college stage, um, marriage stage, just different stages that we're in in our lives. But we can really choose what, we're, what, what our lives are going to be about. Why am I studying? Why am I working? Why am I investing in these relationships? Why am I not doing some of these things? And, uh, and that's basically, like on a smaller scale, what our entire lives is about. And Jesus is saying, be wise, be shrewd, be clever. Think about this. What you have is a limited opportunity, so you have to make good choices and invest in wise things because uh, for everyone, eternity is coming. This is the earthly time is, is very temporary. We all know that. That's a certainty. Eternity is coming. So make wise choices. Learn from this truth manager. And, uh, may we uh, take that to heart. So sobering, isn't it? We can, uh, in one sense, think, oh, I'm, I believe in Jesus, and so my eternity is secure, like, things like that. We can kind of think like that, but I think the Bible also teaches us that every decision that we make matters. Um, so let's go to the Lord. 
in the heart that has been transformed and touched by the grace of God, may we produce righteous deeds in our lives. Let's pray together for a moment before we close with the song. Father, we thank you for your word that you give to us that is our life and breath. Pray that you would allow the word to penetrate deep into our hearts. Help us to spiritually understand it. Awaken our souls to receive your word that we might live according to it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray together. What does it mean for you to be faithful? What is God calling you to be faithful in? What spheres of life that God has God entrusted to you? Certain things. And just to see what you're going to do with it. So what does it mean for you to be faithful in your life today? So just come before the Lord, thinking about your responsibilities, different things that God's given you, different people that God's entrusted into your life, different burdens and convictions that he's placed on you. And, uh, what am I doing with it? Am I, how am I making my daily decisions? Let's just take a moment, reflect on these things, and uh, commit ourselves to the Lord, and I'll close this in prayer and benediction. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For the message of hope that we see in every page of scripture, how we don't have to be righteous on our own and fail and be destined to be matched with the wrath of God in hell, but because of the righteousness of Christ that comes to us by grace, undeserved grace that we can receive, that we can actually be matched with a loving and eternal God that brings us into fellowship with you. Thank you for this amazing message of hope that we see in scripture and on that basis how we can live our lives daily make choices and the assurance that come uh, living under the uh, the unfailing love of our father in heaven help us lord to, to act wisely to, to choose truly the daily even the very small decisions that we make help us to uh, be faithful so that we can aim to receive eternal treasures, riches in heaven that, that matter, that we might be clothed in fine linen at the great marriage of the Lamb. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, incredible, unwavering covenant love of the Father God and the fellowship and strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you God's people both now and forever.